0: Welcome to the Radio Curious Archives. I'm Barry Vogel. Our story this week is about Ellis Island in the New York City harbor. Between 1892 and 1956, about 12 million immigrants came to the United States and entered the country through Ellis Island in the New York City harbor. Who were these people? Where were they from? What was their experience of getting to Ellis Island, and what was it like for them once they arrived there? In this archive edition of Radio Curious, we visit with Andrew Weiss, who I met in 1992 when he was the guide of a tour that I took at Ellis Island. At that time, he was also a doctoral candidate at Columbia University and a teacher at Barnard College in New York City. When Andrew Weiss and I visited in November 1992 by phone from his home in New York City, we began with the history of Ellis Island.
1: Ellis Island was opened up in New York Harbor in 1892 and uh, it operated until about 1956 uh, when the federal government finally closed it down. But it was primary years of operation where in the heavy years of American immigration uh, between about 1892 and uh, exclusion and restriction in uh, 1924.
0: How many people came through Ellis Island? About 12 million in those years. So would, would it be fair to characterize immigration as an industry during that period of time?
1: Oh, certainly it was an industry. It was big business uh, for the shipping companies who brought people to, to the island. It was big business for the railroad companies who took those 12 million people from the shores of, uh, of New York Harbor inland. It was big business for the people who rented tenements, for people who, uh, who owned sweatshops, uh, for people who wanted to build roads, to build bridges, et cetera. It was cetera. It was very much a big
0: business. Why was New York this main port of entry?
1: That's a good question. Uh, several reasons New York was the big point of, of entry. The first, the first, primarily being that uh, it was closer to Europe than most of uh, most of the other American ports. Boston was a little bit closer, uh, particularly close to uh, to the British Isles, and uh, for that reason, uh, a large number of Irish immigrants came to the port in Boston. Uh, but New York, in addition to being just a little bit closer than some of the other American port cities on the East Coast, in any case to to uh, the european ports it was also the, the nation's largest city uh it was the, the place in the united states that most people had heard of everyone had heard of uh, of new york city uh and once immigration began to get going it was the it was the place where people had family had friends uh it was a city in which there were tightly-knit immigrant neighborhoods where, if you didn't speak English, if you only spoke Yiddish, if you only spoke any variety of Slavic, of a Slavic language or Italian, uh, where you could get along never having to learn to speak English, where you could find people who you could trust, uh, people from your own country, people from your own region, and uh, more importantly, people from your own small town.
0: Who were the people who came uh, to America uh, and arrived at Ellis Island?
1: Well, the people who came to, to Ellis Island after, uh, after 1892 uh, were predominantly Europeans. Uh, they were predominantly uh, people from Eastern and Southern Europe. They were predominantly Catholic, and they were predominantly Jewish. Um, beyond that, they were mostly younger people. Most of the immigrants who came uh, through Ellis Island were under the age of 40, and in fact uh, somewhere between a third and 40 percent were children uh, who came through, through Ellis Island. For the most part, they were young, young people who were seeking uh, something which they weren't able to find in whatever home country it was that they came from. It was uh, a place where they could find uh, religious liberty, a place they could find political liberty, uh, but more importantly, economic liberty. Uh, so these were young people who were seeking, uh, seeking opportunity, seeking mobility, uh, and seeking a way up.
0: You mentioned uh, during the tour that I took that uh, many of the men were second and third sons. Why was that?
1: Well, depending upon where people came from, that certainly was very much the case. Um, largely from southern and, and parts of Eastern Europe, uh, where there were still land tenure systems which had the vestiges of, of feudalism uh, remaining, particularly from, from Italy and southern Italy, where uh, Large, large land holdings were the, were the rule, and uh, for poorer people, uh, there might be very, very small land holdings. As people reproduced, uh, a, a father might have a, a plot of land that was 25 acres if he had four or five sons. He would give most of that land, uh, most of that land would go to the first son. Those second and third sons, as they began to be pushed, pushed from the land, uh, had to go someplace and particularly from italy uh... in the later part of the nineteenth century in the first two decades of the twentieth century several million people young men young women left the farms of of sicily of calabria of basilicata uh... and began a a mass migration uh... which took them not only to the united states but which took them to brazil uh... which took them to argentina and any place where they thought that they might be able to either make enough money to come back and purchase land of their own or where they thought that they might ultimately stay, because there wasn't the opportunity to to have any sort of mobility uh, where they had come from.
0: You're listening to a 1992 archive edition of Radio Curious with Andrew Weiss, who was then a New York City tour guide at Ellis Island. We're talking about Ellis Island, its history, who came there, and what happened to them when they arrived. This is Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Once people boarded the ship, and actually I guess before we talk about what it was like on shipboard, tell us how they went to the point of departure in Western Europe, and what it took to get the ticket, what kinds of things they had to give up.
1: Well, it depended where you came from in Eastern Europe, but one of the primary things about the the late 19th century immigration and the vast size of it, the between about 1860 and 1920 some 22 million people immigrated from europe to the united states those are years in which railroads are being extended from port cities in europe into the the countryside years in which the steamship is being uh, innovations in steam shipping are are in place which make which decrease the amount of time that it takes people to travel across the ocean it's a lot a lot easier to to become an immigrant in those years so the industrial revolution has something to do with with what brings people but the things people had to give up in order to come were a variety of, uh, a variety of things, uh, most important which, uh, of which were, were family, uh, in many cases, particularly the young men who left Italy, who left Poland, uh, young men who left uh, from the, the countries which are now uh, Yugoslavia or now formerly Yugoslavia. As young men left, they, they would leave uh, their mothers, their fathers frequently, never to see them again, particularly as World War I approached. The winds of war were blowing. People knew that another war was coming. People who left in 1913, 1914 from Europe knew that they perhaps would never, ever see their families again. What people who were coming, Jews particularly, people coming from, uh, from Russia, from Poland, people were fleeing, uh, were fleeing terrible oppression, uh, and they were giving up the opportunity ever to see again the small towns in which they had grown up. Uh, the opportunity to see the rabbi uh, from their small town, to see their friends, uh, to see some of their extended families. Uh, so it was a, the, the choice to immigrate to the United States, the choice to move a whole world away, was the choice to to make a better life, but to sacrifice an entire past in many
0: cases. Tell us about what uh, travel was like on board ship across the ocean.
1: Well, I mentioned the steam lines. Beginning in about the 1860s and 70s, they began to to change the the way that shipping was done uh, across the Atlantic, and as I, as I did mention, uh, shipping became a big business. Immigration became a big business. Big steamship companies, the Cunard Lines, uh, the same shipping lines which ran the, the Queen Mary and the Queen Elizabeth, the Hamburg America Line, the Liverpool America Line, large shipping companies began to run regular voyages across the Atlantic. Uh, and they well,
0: had- What were the accommodations like?
1: The accommodations were uh, ranging from uh, the luxurious for first class to the downright despicable for people who traveled third class or what was otherwise known as steerage. Uh, And that's the way that most of the people who came to the United States as immigrants, uh, in fact, uh, traveled. Uh, They would spend about a week uh, if they had left from northern and western Europe uh, to as long as two weeks if they left from places like Trieste or from Naples in the Mediterranean mostly below ship. In heavy seas, they would spend their time in, in, in uh, cramped spaces underneath the decks where their bunks were, were stacked three high, uh, where there were nothing but the, but the, the very small portholes to allow in light or otherwise to allow in fresh air. People cried. People were seasick for a week at a time. People frequently were, uh, uh, were sick uh, from, uh, from uh, carrying other diseases and, uh, and things of this nature. So it was really a, could be a very terrible experience for, uh, for people.
0: Were families together, or were they separated, men and women? Uh, Were the single people just all in one lot? How was it?
1: No, generally people all traveled together. Uh, It was men and women, it was families, it was men traveling alone, Uh, it was old women or old men who might be traveling to to rejoin their families, having been sent uh, to rejoin their families who had come to America before them. and for many people who were coming from very traditional societies for strictly Catholic Italian women or for Orthodox Jewish women uh, and families to be placed in a, in a, in a setting where they were uh, in close contact with men and women of, uh, of a variety of diff- from a variety of different uh, towns and uh, uh, places, it could be a very uh, disconcerting experience.
0: Well, let's talk about the arrival, what it was like when they got off the ship, when they first walked into the Great Hall uh, and the contrast, if you will, of the Statue of Liberty that they saw and then what they were about to go through when they arrived at Ellis Island.
1: Okay. Well, generally the ships would arrive into New York Harbor. They would be met uh, at the very front of New York Harbor uh, on the Brooklyn shores by immigration inspectors who would go on and, and would inspect the first and second class passengers. The ship would then travel through New York Harbor, which if you've ever, uh, for your listeners who may have never been there, is a, is a fabulous harbor, equally as striking as uh, San Francisco Bay. Uh, and they would have, would have seen to their left as they passed up New York Harbor, the Statue of Liberty standing there, uh, welcoming them, beckoning them into uh, to, to the Golden Door. To their right, they would have seen the, the enormous skyline of Manhattan rising up directly from the water uh... these are people coming from places where they had never seen buildings higher than two stories uh... now looking at the Woolworth building sixty stories high rising above the water Uh, they would have docked on the manhattan shore uh... and the people in first and second class would have gotten off uh... and now the immigrant uh... really began to feel his difference uh... and the way that the united states was viewing him or her because the third-class passengers now were loaded onto a series of steam barges and ferries which took them back across the harbor, away from New York City, back across and much closer to the Statue of Liberty, to Ellis Island, uh, where they would be inspected, uh, where they would be asked questions, uh, where they would be asked perhaps to show money to verify that they would not become public charges, uh, to be tested uh, for, for diseases, to be asked about their political views. Uh, and a variety of uh, questions of this nature. Uh,
0: Before we get into talking about what some of the specifics of those questions are, let me say that you're listening to Andrew Weiss, a doctoral candidate at Columbia University and a lecturer at Barnard College and a licensed New York City tour guide, and we're talking about what it was like to arrive at Ellis Island between 1892 and 1956. My name is Barry Vogel. So tell us about the inspections and the tests and so forth, Andy.
1: Okay, well, I'll tell you about those. I was going to finish uh, by saying uh, about the, the Statue of Liberty and Ellis Island really is standing in, in, in a sort of very unique contrast, a paradox, really, uh, standing in New York Harbor. Uh, we have an American ideology which looks at the Statue of Liberty as the, as the great beacon of hope uh, for people. Uh, and Ellis Island, of course, we think of as the golden door, uh, the island of hope. But people who went to Ellis Island also called it the Island of Tears. Uh, If you're you're familiar with the Statue of Liberty, you know that at the base of it, uh, Emma Lazarus uh, has a poem which is called The Great Colossus, which was written in 1883 uh, during the years that the statue was being built. And The Great Colossus, I'm sure all your listeners are, are familiar, it says, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore, send the homeless tempest tossed to me. If you listen to that closely, tired, tempest-tossed, wretched refuse of your teeming shores, that's uh, in a sense saying, welcome, garbage. And uh, and in very many ways, uh, Ellis Island represents that ill-spiritedness of the United States looking back across towards Europe at the immigrants in the later part of the 19th century. Uh, Ellis Island, in addition to being the Island of Hope, uh, was the beginning of a long period of restriction, a, a three-decade period of marching ever closer to finally closing that golden door uh, on the face of people who were yearning to breathe free in a new land. Ellis Island was opened in 1892 as part of the federal government's attempt to oversee all of American immigration. Prior to that, immigration had been in the hands largely of the states uh, that put a tremendous burden on states like New York State, and particularly cities like New York, who were forced to pay for uh, the inspection of immigrants at their doors. So Ellis Island was in part uh, an attempt of the federal government to take over the payment for these things. Uh, But in addition, it was also an attempt to begin to restrict who could come. Uh, After about 1885, contract laborers were no longer allowed to come to the United States. Uh, And, and of course, the most important early restriction on immigration was, was in 1882, was what was called the Chinese Exclusion Act, the same year as that the Statue of Liberty was being built in New York Harbor. Uh, the United States uh, entirely severed immigration with, uh, with China, uh, excluding people because they felt that they were unassimilable to the great melting pot of the United States. Uh, but Ellis Island served a similar purpose. After 1892, they asked you questions. Are you a criminal? Are you an idiot? Uh, are you a person likely to become a public charge? Uh, they began to, to look to see if people... Uh, We're carrying contagious diseases.
0: You're listening to a 1992 archive edition of Radio Curious with Andrew Weiss, who was then a New York City tour guide at Ellis Island. We're talking about Ellis Island, its history, who came there, and what happened to them when they arrived. This is Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel the questions, are you a criminal, are you an idiot? How did they put those questions to the people and what kinds of answers were given considering the many, many languages that were spoken?
1: Well, people as they arrived at Ellis Island were first given a medical inspection and then were given a more important inspection uh, in which they were asked a variety of questions, uh, and questions which were supposed to match Questions which they had already answered at their port of embarkation in in Europe. If you had left from Hamburg with a shipping company, the shipping company had asked you a variety of questions: uh, political ideology. Are you an anarchist, for example? They also asked you questions about uh, your ability, perhaps, to get a job. Are you a skilled laborer? Are you unskilled? Uh, has anyone promised you a job in the United States? Are you married? How old are you? Where are you going? Do you have money? Do you have tickets to get to where you're going? Do you have friends and family? Where you're going? And so as you walk through the Great Hall and you approach a bench, a, a long row of benches where lines of immigrants were waiting, standing patiently, some impatiently, uh, waiting to meet the immigration inspectors, they approached the immigration inspector who would meet them with a translator, with an interpreter, uh, and there were interpreters there who spoke any of the 40 or 50 languages that, that, uh, that people spoke who came uh, through Ellis Island. Fiorello LaGuardia, uh, the, the soon-to-be mayor of New York City, uh, served for several years as an interpreter at Ellis Island. It was one of the formative experiences of his life, asking people these questions, asking them, uh, translating for them, uh, looking into their faces and seeing people terrified, afraid to answer wrong. Uh, they asked the question, the most important question, uh, one of the most important questions, for example, was, Do you have a job promised to you? If you answered that question wrong, you could be excluded, sent back. Um, I mentioned the 1885 Ferran Act, which said you couldn't be a contract laborer. You couldn't be brought to the United States with a job promised to you already. So you had to answer the question, well, no, I don't have a job promised to me. But I can get a job uh, because it was equally dangerous to be considered a public charge or someone likely to become a public charge. The United States didn't want to pay for the welfare of, of the poor, of the criminal, of the insane coming to the to the United States. Uh, and thus you had to, had to navigate in a very terrifying situation, navigate through various little, uh, little linguistic tricks of this nature uh, in order to, to pass.
0: Were the people who were uh, lining up told in any way uh, what to say and what the questions might be and given some guides for the navigation?
1: Another another point of the Industrial Revolution touching into immigration is the telegraph, uh, which in 1901 established service between the United States and Europe. Uh, There was a great deal, in addition to telegraph, a great deal of uh, information passed back and forth through letters, through immigrants who had passed through Ellis Island before. There was a a, a great, great find of information. So people uh, were aware that they were going to be asked questions, but still rumors flew. Uh, Big, uh, large-scale rumors began to circulate about just what these questions were going to be asked one of the things that happened to, to immigrants when they arrived is they had this the medical inspection. Um, frequently, during the medical inspection, people made the doctors made chalk marks on the clothing of the immigrants, uh, which were in a very obscure code to alert other doctors to the fact that this immigrant might uh, might have a heart condition that should be looked into more closely, or might have a scalp condition or some uh, medical condition that needed uh, more close inspection. But the immigrants being chalked upon, uh, facing people in uniform, were very frightened by this sort of this thing, didn't really know what that, what that all meant. So uh, although they did have information, uh, they didn't have the complete story, uh, and being very frightened that they might be uh, excluded, having already paid their ticket, having left their family, uh, perhaps having fled from oppression, uh, being terrified that they might be turned back, uh, even having information uh, it was not information that they, that they necessarily uh, were certain was going to help them get through.
0: Well, what happened to uh, families that were separated when uh, one person was not allowed in for an illness or whatever?
1: Well, the separation of families, of course, is the most terrifying experience uh, that, that immigrants felt they faced in their long journey across the Atlantic uh, and certainly is the one that uh, that most earned Ellis Island the name, the Island of Tears. Uh, if a young child in a family, for example, uh, was diagnosed as having trachoma, uh, which was a, a disease, an eye disease similar to conjunctivitis or fauvis a scalp disease, or perhaps uh, was suffering from, uh, from any variety of, uh, of, of sicknesses, perhaps even just the flu, um, that child would not be allowed to pass through, uh, would be detained until they got better. Uh, and if they, if, if they were unfortunate enough to have uh, contracted trachoma or fovis or uh, one of these diseases that the immigration inspectors considered uh, grounds on the face of it for exclusion, uh, that child might be sent back. So standing there now in front of the immigration inspectors uh, with people going down a stairway behind you, going down to meet their family, people who have been accepted. The golden door has opened for them and welcomed them in. They are now going to be allowed to become Americans. Uh, People now standing at that point and realizing that someone is going to have to stay back with this child. Perhaps someone will have to travel back to Europe uh, with that child. There was a point just beyond where the immigration inspectors stood that was called. There was a large stairway, and there were three aisles in the stairway, and they called uh, this the Stairs of Separation. Uh, If you were told to go down the middle stairway, that meant that you were traveling on, you had a train ticket, uh, off to another point in uh, in the United States, Peoria, or Tucson, uh, or elsewhere in the U.S. If you went down the right-hand side, that meant you were just going to take the ferry across to, uh, just across New York Harbor and into New York City, where you would begin your experience as an American. But if you were told to go to the left, that meant that you were going to be detained. Uh, You could be detained for several days, for just a single day, uh, until a relative came to meet you, if you were a young woman, uh, for example, and didn't have a a male guardian along with you. Um, Or you could be sent along for more serious reasons, for political reasons, or for the suspicion, perhaps, that you were uh, insane or or perhaps that you were infirm or that you had some sort of sickness, um, and you might be detained for a much longer period of time until a hearing was held, a medical examination was held, uh, and if you went down the left-hand stairs, it might be that you might be excluded uh, entirely.
0: Let me ask you about the uh, young women. Uh, Were they not allowed to enter the United States alone if they were below a certain age?
1: Turn of the century was a conservative time. Uh, There was not an age limit on single women entering the United States. If you were single and arrived to the United States as a woman, you could not leave Ellis Island until someone, an immediate member of your family, a male guardian, or, uh, or a female member of your family came to pick you up. There was a great, a great fear and speculation among the populace that circulated widely in the yellow journalism of the day uh, that there was a terrible trade in white slavery taking place, prostitution uh, across the ocean. And uh, because of this great fear, which was greatly overblown, the immigration inspectors were very careful not to allow single women to, uh, to leave with men who were not verifiably members of their family. That led to, to several things, one being that people, women, frequently had to wait much longer times uh, at Ellis Island, waiting for male guardians, an uncle, a grandfather, a brother, a father, uh, or perhaps some nuns from a, from a, from a local parish uh, to come pick you up. But if you were also, if you were an unmarried woman, you could leave with your husband. Uh, if, you weren't, if you weren't married when you got there, you could be married on Ellis Island. Uh, and in fact, thousands of people were married uh, at Ellis Island. Uh, one of the interesting things about... Immigration and the movement of people across the Atlantic was a tremendous trade picked up in uh, transatlantic brides. Many immigrant men arrived to the United States and they didn't like the uppityness of American women, and so they uh, began to look backward to the home country, uh, looking to bring to bring a bride that they may perhaps had never met, that they had only corresponded with uh, via the mails. In 1907, there was a ship that arrived, for example, uh, that had by coincidence, a thousand uh, eligible brides on it, all of whom who had been uh, in correspondence with men who were prepared to meet them and marry them on the spot at Ellis Island in order to take them back into New York City or out into the hinterland. And... uh, wonderful scenes took place uh, where people who had corresponded uh, met each other and, uh, and lifelong matches were made, uh, but on the, other, on the other hand, sometimes people sent phony photographs, sometimes after a, a very uh, short bit of conversation, people realized that they, there was absolutely no way that this match could ever stand, uh, and so in the, in the midst of, of chaos with people meeting each other for the first time, some people were rejecting each other for the first and last time, And in some cases, immigrant women, particularly, who are now unmarried and standing in Ellis Island after having traveled uh, a week from their home point to the the port city, now a week across the Atlantic, need to find somebody to get them into the United States. And uh, the leftovers uh, began to talk and began to marry each other uh, on the spot at Ellis Island. So uh, a very different sort of time, um, but... uh, sorts of examples which, uh, which give a sense of the, uh, of the great desire of people uh, to come to the United States uh, in spite of all hardship or the things that they were going to have to face once they were here.
0: Well, Andy Weiss, I want to thank you uh, for being with us, but before we conclude, if maybe you could um, take a minute um, and tell us about the other, your other area of specialty, which is so different than uh, the history of Ellis Island.
1: Uh, my other area of specialty is uh, i suppose you refer to my to my dissertation topic which is uh which is african American suburbanization uh, in the twentieth century, which is rather different but uh, but in many ways in many ways similar my interests are are in the ways that uh, that race that ethnicity that different religions work in this american milieu of ours how it is that we all somehow are able to live on the on the shores of this country uh without as of yet uh, Coming to great bloodshed, and uh, and so I I have uh, been been working now for three or four years doing a doing a large a large scale project tracking the kinds of places over time that African American families have have attempted to move outside of central cities uh, from small semi-rural towns where they built their own homes outside of places like Cleveland or Detroit or Chicago to industrial suburbs uh, places like in your area like Richmond or Berkeley uh, or Oakland.
0: Well, we're just about running out of time, and and I want to thank you very much, uh, Andy Weiss. Well, thank you so much for having me. In 1992, Andrew Weiss was a doctoral candidate at Columbia University, an instructor at Barnard College, and worked as a tour guide at Ellis Island in the New York City Harbor. He has shared some of the history of Ellis Island, and the stories about the people for whom Ellis Island was the point of entry to the United States. In 1992, when this program was recorded, I didn't ask my guests for recommendations about books. There are over 750 archives on our website, radiocurious.org. And I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters, and do enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The postal address is 700 West Smith Street, Ukiah, California, 95482. The phone is 707 621-5075. Ignacio Ayala is the assistant producer. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.